Welcome back to the Weekly Trusted Visions podcast. Sean, glad you're feeling better. Glad to have you back, my friend. It wasn't the same without you. Um, (laughs) As we continue down this path of really getting into the weeds, as we did with transition of the broker-dealer and the various things that a lot of advisors don't know to think about or don't even know exist, we figured we'd spend this week digging into the negotiating process with the broker-dealer and the loan transition loans and forgiveness of that, because I think we can all agree that we hear this weekly of, well, this BD is paying three and a half times more than this broker dealer. And I think I should go there. And there's things that you really have to look into of why that is. So we're really going to dig into that this week. And and like I said, Sean, welcome back. David, we're going to start off with you of really the negotiating process and how to go about it methodically and the levers that you can pull as an advisor OSJ or enterprise when going through that negotiation process. Appreciate it. Uh, yes, it's, there's a lot of things you can do and there's a lot of things you can utilize. And that's, we, we talk all the time about fees and how that comes into play and working with a, a company like ours, a third-party recruiting firm. And that and the negotiation side of it becomes very impactful on that side when you start really digging into the weeds and really looking at those levers. And, you know, what I, what I tell a lot of advisors when we're going through the whole due diligence process is you want to have, you know, two or three that you're looking at, you're very serious about. That's also very important when you start to negotiate your deal. Uh, because if they're, you're only looking at one broker dealer and they know you're only looking at one broker dealer, that does take away one of your biggest leverage points is looking at their competitors, looking at the competition. And if you're a good fit for both of those broker dealers, that will give you a little bit of, a little bit more leverage when it comes to not only looking at your, your TA package, overall cost, and a lot of the fees that we talked about last year. And one of the other things is dates. I know people look at that, that a lot of advisors, and we hear this all the time, I don't want to be pressured into making a move. Don't hard sell me on making a move. This is going to be beneficial for you. Don't tell me I have to make a move by then. What I always tell advisors is, is don't take that personal. That is strictly business on that side of it. There could be huge incentives for you as an advisor or you as an OSJ moving your moving your you know, deciding to make a move and you've already made that decision, if you can move up those dates or move back those dates, that could be hugely beneficial for you when you're leveraging your deal. Because in a lot of cases, if you're getting closer to the end of the year, you could strike a deal that's not possible if you decided uh, to push that to January or February the following year. So keep that in mind and, and, and don't feel like, yeah, if the corporate recruiters pressure me, you know, and that's another big advantage of working with us is we can kind of give you the insight. It's it's not about pressure. It's not about making you do something you don't want to do. But if it's right and you want to make it and you want to make that move, being able to be flexible, a little bit flexible with those dates can be very beneficial for you when you're moving over. And the the levers we always talk about is, you know, the, the difference between, you know, negotiating the highest payout and the lowest fees and everything else that goes along with that. There's a ton of levers on that side. When you're looking at brokerage accounts and advisory assets and product mix, you know, you're going to look at a broker dealer and say, hey, I'm actually a perfect advisor. My chemical makeup of my my book of business and my clients is perfect for this broker dealer. We can help you find those sweet spots. And the sweeter those spots are is that gives you a lot more leverage when it comes to negotiating that deal and finding out, okay, can I benefit more by lowering a lot more fees and getting less uh, dollars on the TA side of the world and how you can leverage that on whether, you know, if I can cut my cost, that's just as much as making more money. 
Uh, and a, a lot of the times advisors always look at what's the TA percentage? What does that break down to? There's a lot more to that number. And that kind of really brings me to that, you know, the soft and hard dollar side of it. I know Sean's going to talk a little bit more about the promissory notes and things like that go along with it. But when you look at hard, do- hard dollars, those are hard dollars. That's cash that they're actually outlaying for you to offset fees that go along with making the transition over to your new uh, broker dealer and everything that goes along with that. Most of the time, it's you're, you're not looking to make a, a windfall. You're looking just to offset the fees that go along with you making the move and the costs that go along with it. A big part of that is uh, um, is looking at the the loans. You know, anytime you look at the cash or anything like that, there's more restrictions and things like that that go along with it. Kind of lost my train of thought there for a second. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah, you, you got to love Wednesday some days. Uh, and then the soft dollars <laughs> side of it again, it it goes into what we talked about last week is getting the highest payout, lowest fees, a lot of the times by getting a lot of those fees waived or getting a lot of those fees negotiated up front, that's soft dollars. That's something that doesn't affect them uh, by cutting a a check. That's something they can kind of engulf because they've already got the systems in place. They've already got the employees that they're working with and all of that's already baked into their individual system. So you can leverage quite a bit of soft dollars. And in most situations, when you're making a, a move, you're making a move because it's advantageous. There's something this broker dealer has. It's either technology, uh, practice management, marketing, branding. There's something there that's going to be hugely beneficial for you, your advisors, and basically your clients that go along with it. So by leveraging that, you can leverage you know, marketing hours. You can uh, leverage practice management hours. Everything that goes along with it that you would have to pay yourself if you decided to utilize that service. And if you bring that in and build that into your soft dollar package... It's going to give you the availability to get the things that you want without the outlay of the cash that you would have to do on a normal on a normal time frame. Right. And soft dollars much much easier to much easier to get soft dollars approved than sometimes the hard dollars side of it. So if you can work with them and negotiate and and really dig in there, you're going to have a tremendous amount of levers to pull to really get you where you want to be. And that's why working with you know third party recruiters are so important because. Sometimes, you know, we were both on the corporate recruiter side. We've all been there. Uh, you may not always hear the nuances between the two. They, they want to give, if you commit to what they give you, then great. And then everybody's happy. But there's a, there's a lot of options out there that could really benefit you, benefit you as an advisor and your clients. Right. Right. Yeah. And to that point, David, I, you brought up a good point of <clears throat> don't feel like it's a hard pressure situation. I mean, we're working with a large group right now that, that quite honestly fell into the ideal situation in that this particular broker dealer had a group that was slotted to join by year end. They had to push until next year. So they had a pool of transition dollars already budgeted that they had to use <clears throat> by the end of the year for budget purposes. And, and this group that, that filled in that slot, I mean, they're getting seven figures more by moving now versus January. It's not it's not an I got you or a used car salesman approach. So one question for you, David, before we roll over to Sean is, you know, you hear a lot about, and, and these broker dealers do it so differently of, well, here's your transition package, what you do with the money, whether you're covering account termination fees or not is up to you. And then some broker dealers say, Hey, here's less money up front, but we're going to cover the account termination fees. What's your opinion to our audience of again, that's not really a soft dollar thing because the broker dealer actually has to pay it, but what's your opinion of the pros and cons of either side of that? 
Mm. You bet. Because that's that's a very, very good question. Because when you look at things like ACAT fees, for example, when you have a broker dealer that says, hey, we're going to give you this pool of money to utilize uh, to basically offset any ACAT fees that are available out there. And that's great and all, but in some cases, you may not move as many accounts over, or you maybe move more accounts over. But if you move less accounts over in that particular situation, you know, you use it or lose it. It's it's one of like your flexible spending account. If you don't use it by the end of the year, then guess what? Those dollars are gone. Right. Uh, so if there's if there's any kind of a risk in there where you think, ah, man, it would be it would be better for me to kind of control that, even though I've got to take on a little bit more responsibility with the loan side of it, things like that. It could be in your best interest to basically take the cash side of it. And that's another one of those advantages where it's like, okay, on in those particular situations, you don't want to be stuck with a use it or lose it kind of scenario. You want to be able to utilize every penny that you get, not only on the soft dollar side of it, but utilize almost every single penny on the hard dollar side of it uh, to utilize, to get your accounts transitioned over, get your clients moved over, and hopefully move your practice to the next level. Yeah, and to that point, I mean, it's one, keep in mind for our audience, regardless of whether they're setting aside a pool of dollars or or giving it to you up front, it's still a manual process that you have to track those accounts. So it's not like one's going to automate the other. So great points there, David. John, we're going to hand over probably the most difficult portion of this podcast to you, just because you you weren't here last week, so we figured we'd we'd lob this one up for you. (laughs) But we've all been in the industry long enough. There's so many different nuances that a lot of advisors don't understand of, you know, some broker dealers, they offer you a transition package and pay all of it up front. Some of it's broken into, hey, I'll pay you this much. And then after this many assets move over, I'll pay you this and this and I mean, it's by the time some of these advisors are reading through that promissory note that's multiple pages long, they're head spinning. Um, So can you talk a little bit about what we've seen out there of the way that these loans are structured and probably really what our audience should be looking at when comparing one loan to the other and things to watch out for? Sure, sure, sure. Well, with that said, I'm going to try to make it as easy as possible and um, just speak at a high level, and then we can get granular uh, you know, afterwards. But um, first of all, I commend broker-dealers um, that do recognize there's a cost associated with uh, transition to book of business. And um, I, you know, I, I respect the broker-dealers that pony up, in other words, and um, you know, provide forgivable notes to offset those transition costs, because that's what it's all about. Um, I've and I'm not, you know, directing this toward any firm, but I've never been a fan of broker dealers that may not offer that forgivable note and make futuristic promises to offset that. You know, telling an advisor that hey, we'll help you grow three times your business in five years. You don't need an upfront check. Um, well, if, if that's the case, what happens if they lose that big client in the process? So, um, just wanted to preface, uh, you know, you know what I'm about to uh, dive into by saying that, you know, kudos to the firms that do acknowledge that. And if you're an advisor watching and you never made a broker deal a change, it is okay to negotiate an upfront. You're not going to be looked at as an advisor that's all about a check. I know that's kind of the cliche thrown out in our industry. Um, that is not the case. You're an advisor that's making a, a business decision and you want to make the best business decision for your practice and your clients. So with that said, you know, uh, you know, while the purpose of transition assistance packages, as I mentioned, is to help advisors recoup, recoup any loss, 
um, by making the transition, broker dealers have them structured differently. Um, every firm has these packages uh, structured differently. I'm going to focus more on the hard dollars of uh, the upfront uh, because as Dave mentioned, transition assistance packages can have a number of different ways uh, you know, to slice up the pie, but I'm just gonna focus on the hard dollars. Um, when it comes to hard dollars, there is a uh, term you know, with these hard dollars. The term could be five year, uh, the term could be seven year, uh, the term could be 10 year. Now you, you find the seven year, especially the 10 year, more in the wirehouse uh, environments. However, more, more and more independents are adopting the seven year um, note as well. Now there are advantages and disadvantages to each. A five year note, which is standard, just from my experience, most of the advisors that I've worked with uh, were the recipients of a five-year forgivable note. Um, the advantage here is that obviously the note is forgiven, um, you know, a lot faster than a seven or ten. Um, a disadvantage, and I'm not sure if you would even, uh, you know, say this is a disadvantage. However, it's usually less money uh, because you're, you're not there, you know, for for ten years or seven years, so they're going to uh, the offer may not be as strong. Um, on the seven-year and ten-year side, obviously, uh, the advantage is there is more money, uh, more upfront money. Um, however, you do have a longer uh, period of time before the note is forgiven. Um, so, with that, uh, you know, the seven and ten-year note can provide a tax benefit. And what I mean by that, for for advisors that have never made a change or or, or the viewer that may not understand this, uh, there are taxes that you do pay on a forgivable note. Typically. When you make the broker dealer change, you receive that upfront portion in full, um, you know, two weeks to 30 days after you're approved and affiliated at the broker dealer. However, the taxes on those fall, as example, if you receive the five-year note, you're paying one-fifth of that portion each year for five years. If it's a seven-year, you pay one-seventh, 10, so forth, so, so on. So the tax benefit could be there if you have the seven to 10 year um, note. Um, the, the advantage of all of these notes, since DOL, uh, these you know, forgivable notes are retention based for the most part, meaning that all you have to do is sit in your seat for the duration of the note. If it's five year, not saying you don't have to produce, okay? Because I'm sure, I'm sure a firm wouldn't be happy uh, with that. However, it's, it's essentially through all the verbiage, you stay in your seat. Five years, you stay in your seat. Seven years, you stay in your seat. Ten years. Um, if you are looking at a firm that may have production bogies, uh, you, you want to ask some questions about that. Um, because that, to me, it just it just signals that it's kind of outside of the way the industry is doing things now. And, uh, you know, it, it's leaning toward being one-sided for the broker-dealer. Um, so you definitely want, want to just ask those questions um, if a production bogey is associated with that. And also, um, you know, when it comes to these notes, we're seeing more and more advisors plug into OSJs and OSJ networks. Um, you know, those notes are structured differently at times. I mean, that there are some situations where the broker dealer and the OSJ just kind of come together to make the full offer. Um, it could be half on the OSJ, half on the broker dealer and they negotiate their own terms. So you want to make sure that you understand um, you know, what those terms are. Will the OSJ be responsible for the note if you were to leave within that period of time? Or you know, would um, you know, the broker dealer 
uh, be responsible for that? Or is there a caveat within the transition assistance package that if you join an OSHA and for whatever reason, within the forgivable note period, there's an issue um, where you need to depart from that OSHA? How does the firm handle that in terms of your your note? You know, will they move you to another OSHA, still honor the note? Will you plug in directly to the broker dealer without an OSHA? Um, so you want to just look at that as well uh, when it comes to, you know, the, the, the upfront portion of, of the um, forgivable note. Yeah. And, and one thing I, you made up a good point of you, you got to sit in your seat, but you got to produce. And we talk to, you know, a lot of advisors and I always tell them, don't make this one sided of you want the biggest check up front and you're really going to hand it to the BD because you're, you're coming from an environment where, you're confident those assets aren't going to come over or you're worried those assets aren't going to come over. Be realistic. I mean, if you're talking about this broker dealer of being a true partner with them over the next 7, 10, 20 years, be a true partner because I've seen it time and time again where you an advisor will take the most amount of money up front, not bring anything over. But most of those contracts will allow a broker dealer to withdraw your contract at any given point. Well, guess right. what? Right. Then right. they're going to call that note and I mean, just make sure it's a true partnership and, and great points there, Sean. One question for you that a lot of advisors don't know to ask or think about is most broker dealers offer some sort of repayable loan. Right. right. Um, can, can you talk a little bit about that from your experience um, of why that may be advantageous for an advisor, OSJ or enterprise to look at? Sure, sure. From my experience, um, you know, this came into play a lot when we had a wirehouse advisor that uh, may be looking to make the transition to independence. Um, the advisor may be looking for office space. It may just need a little more, uh, you know, financial assistance up, you know, up front um, to kick off their independent career. That's just from my experience. It could be other scenarios, but just from my experience, uh, we I looked at as a recruiter repayables in those scenarios. Reason being, obviously, they needed more capital, but also a repayable is something to seriously consider if you're an advisor making the transition. Number one, from my experience, um, is the interest rate, because most broker dealers do have an interest rate, um, it, you know, on those repayable notes, but they are a lot less than if you went to a bank or your or your loans or, or you're just a traditional, you know, loan firm or company. Um, you know, you find yourself in a better scenario. Uh, there's a little more flexibility in which uh, some broker dealers can actually just have whatever it is that you uh, owe, just be taken out of your commissions where you're not even, uh, you know, making a you know payment every month or it's just not something on the to-do list. And then also I've worked with uh, broker dealers that have allowed an extension on the repayable where you may not even have to make that first payment for six months or a year until you're able to get your accounts over and able to uh, you know, get, get situated uh, with your new uh, situation. So I, I think that a repayable, certainly if you need additional resources is something to look at um, through the broker dealer that you are joining, for sure. Yep, <clears throat> great points. And, and so now I'm gonna carry this over and wrap this up with probably my favorite portion of this. Um, is and I just had it this week. And advisors like, well, this broker dealer is offering me 1.4 million, and this broker dealer is offering me 500,000. I think I'm going to go with the 1.4 million, which isn't always a bad thing. But we get asked a lot: is why are some B broker dealers paying more than others? And I would break it into three different categories of why. And this is where 
a firm like Trusted Visions really comes into to value to help you navigate this. The three categories I would break it into is economies of scale. That broker dealer already has economies of scale, whether they're self-clearing, whether they are already an industry leader in terms of rep count, and they're just continuing to grow by economies of scale. So that's one. The second one would be the broker dealer is gearing up to be sold um, to where they're owned by private equity. They're coming up on that four to seven year mark where they flip them. And so they don't care if they overpay because they're, it's not going to be on their balance sheet when they flip you. So that's the second one. The third one, and I think we're seeing this more and more in our industry, it's, it's saddening, is desperation. And what I mean by desperation is these broker dealers are losing reps in droves and can't retain them. And they think the only way to you know, make it up is by overpaying. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna break that into those three categories. And you know, when you're looking at these broker dealers and the offers are that much higher, number one, look at where they're at in the industry in terms of size and scale. And are they self-clearing? Because there are some great firms out there that yes, they throw big dollars out there, but that's because they can. And, and let's be honest, gentlemen, this industry it's all about a race to being the biggest and the best because of the economies of scale, because that's what this industry is going to come down to. The small broker dealers, no knock on them. We work with some of them. They're just not going to survive long-term. So looking at the broker dealer size, are they self-clearing? How many reps do they have? That would be the first one and say, okay, if that's the case, the bigger upfront check isn't necessarily an issue. The second and third buckets are the ones that you really got to be concerned about is the, hey, is the broker dealer owned by private equity? Again, not all private equity ownership is bad, but if they're owned by private equity and you're you're gearing up, they're in that fourth or fifth year and they're throwing dollars that most broker dealers aren't, it's pretty likely they're going to be flipped at some point in time. And you got to ask yourself, what broker dealer is going to buy them? What broker dealer has the size and the financials to buy them? Because you may leave one broker dealer and end up right back with that broker dealer. We've seen it um, <laughs> over the last two years, right. uh, gentlemen, but you may end up right back with the same broker dealer, or you may end up with the broker dealer that you turned down because they weren't offered as much. So that would be the second bucket. The third bucket, and this is the one that really concerns me is the acts of desperation um, that these broker dealers are throwing big dollars out. And, and I'm sure our audience knows a lot of them is these broker dealers are losing reps by hundreds. And yet they are increasing fees and lowering payouts, but yet they're overpaying for a new advisors coming in. Right. And so, what I always suggest is look at the publications or, or have a conversation with our team to say, okay, let's look at this broker dealer. You may or may not know of them, but let's look at this broker dealer. What have they recruited year to date and what have they lost? And if that number goes in the favor of they've lost five times, 10 times more than they've recruited, that should be a tremendous red flag for our audience. Don't get you know, bedazzled having two girls, don't get bedazzled by the dollar signs and just think, hey, this is great. I'm going to get this amount of money. You're going to get yourself in a situation where you, because it's time-based, I wouldn't say you're stuck, but you're going to have to pay that money back. And most broker dealers aren't going to pay you the money that 
the type of money that that broker dealer is. So that's how I'd break it into those three categories. Gentlemen, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, um, but I know we get that a lot from our audience of this broker dealer paying that much more. And right. any thoughts from, from the two of you? Yeah, and you, I would look at it, you, you hit the nail on the head. When you're looking at, uh, you know, Sean talked about, you know, yeah, with DOL, we didn't have the responsibility anymore really to have these production bogeys that are listed on that side of it. But also the other side of that is communication to your clients about receiving a transition package. And, you know, the whole, the, the whole side of that is to offset expenses, to help you move, to give you the availability to move to a broker dealer that's going to enhance something you're you're doing on the broker dealer side of it you know technology back office support everything that goes along with it you're 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 supposed to be making a move that's going to benefit you and your practice and your clients and long term can you honestly you know you may have to disclose that that you're receiving a transition package from your uh from the broker dealer that you're moving to you get in that situation of saying okay now i've I've got this very large check and I moved to a broker dealer that didn't really give me all those enhancements, really didn't give me all these benefits and doesn't give me the benefits to grow and look for the future. So now you've got a, you've got that, you got that, you're kind of really stuck in a hard situation of saying, did I really do the right thing? And that's why I've, I've always said, you know, if you're chasing a check, uh, we're not the guys to work with. Uh, and, and, and it's just in our industry, you just can't do it anymore. You know, it used to be uh, it used to be one of those things, but you can get yourself in more. You can you can really hurt yourself chasing a check than just really evaluating and really digging into what you're getting and looking at the advantages and disadvantages that go along with that. Because like you said, larger check doesn't always mean that's going to be the best thing for you long term. Right. Agreed. Well, gentlemen, thank you for, for covering this audience. We are going to continue down this path of really diving into the weeds and the intricacies of the broker dealers. Should you have any questions, please don't hesitate to comment on our LinkedIn podcast page or follow us on YouTube, Trusted Visions Placement and Consulting. Gentlemen, have a great week. We look forward to continuing down this series later this week or later this month. Um, if you heard Luca in the background, it was he was in the HR office. He's been acting out. So I apologize to our audience. Everybody have a great week.